Hey gang, a quick note just before we get into today's show. Next week's show, we welcome back an old mate of mine, Andy Blow, the CEO and founder of Precision Hydration. You know what a fanboy I am of their hydration products, but I just saw that they are releasing some fuel and energy drink products. So I thought, you know what, let's have Andy back on. I want to understand what's going on. I'm eager for him to give us the scoop. But as we have him, and it's right in mid-season for you endurance athletes, I thought it would be nice for you to ask him your questions. And so before we dive into today's meat and potatoes, a little invitation. If you have questions about hydration or fueling for energy, health, life, whatever it might be, simply head to purplepatchfitness.com forward slash podcast. That's our podcast page at the website. We will capture your questions and we will aim to ask Andy the very best of them. All of the details on the podcast page. Oh, and if you could, please include your first name as well as where you are, your location. We really want to know that. Bonus cake for anyone who asks a question from Essex in England. Okay, with that, excited for next week's show. Now, enjoy today's show. Barry told me it was a cracker, and I'm very excited. I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. Yes, welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. And folks, it is summer. The temperatures are rising. Races are looming. And so today we dig into performance readiness for hot environments. If you're running a marathon, prepping for a hot triathlon, getting primed for the Ironman or Ironman 70.3 World Championships, today is for you. We're going to talk a little physiology. We're going to dive into a really pragmatic and smart approach to set yourself up for performance in a hot environment. And we ensure that you can race to your potential despite the claustrophobia of that hot, hot, hot. It should be fun. But before we tuck into the meat and potatoes, I want to do a very important squatty update. Yes, the squatty update. And there are three quick things that we're going to get through today. Really important. And the first I have to tell you about July the 27th. You can join me on a special evening all about setting up your performance in a time-starved life. In this session, we're going to break apart all of the myths and mistakes that so many athletes make when they start training for endurance events while navigating a busy life. We're going to unlock the secrets of our success, helping so many time-starved athletes achieve great personal success, and we're going to answer your questions. And so if you're a triathlete looking for your best performance while optimizing health and life, or you're a first-timer thinking, oh, I'd love to get in and do something like this, but oh, life is so busy. Perhaps you're just a fitness enthusiast where you're seeking to improve your energy and health, but it's really, really challenging with all of the logistics, then this event is for you. July 27th, we'll put it in the show notes, and this is an invitation. Oh, and if you can't join live, of course, we're going to record it and we'll send it to you afterwards. 
Now, talking of seminars and educational pieces, triathletes, a couple of weeks ago, I hosted a really important free seminar on the strategies and best approaches for those athletes that are qualified and heading to the Hawaii Ironman World Championships or the Ironman 70.3 World Championships in St. George, Utah. And you might have missed it, but the good news is we recorded it for you and we are offering it free as a follow-up. It was a highly popular session, very well received. So if you are heading to the World Championships, or you hope to, or you know someone that is, this session will certainly help. We'll add it to the link to the show notes, or just reach out to us directly at info at purplepatchfitness.com, and we will send you the whole package of content and recording. It was a cracker, and we would call it a do not miss. And finally, guys, it is July. We're talking about temperatures today, lots of performance in heat, and we know that the fall of racing awaits, as does, of course, a massive 2022. And over the coming months, we plan a host of free educational set recessions on course previews, setting up the best strategies for performance across life and sport. After all, our mission is to educate and empower, so this all fits squarely under the banner. And I don't want you to miss out on the news, on the education. And so, I got a little recommendation for you this week. Head to purplepatchfitness.com and get on our educational newsletter. It is a weekly educational bulletin, completely free, and lots for you to fill your boots with. And while you're at it, you can go and check out our coaching and supporting services. Your performance won't be disappointed if you let us take the reins for a while and enable us to guide you to success. Now, all right, that's the topic of the week. It's hot. But now, guys... Let's get on with the business, eh? Let's get jiggy with it. Barry, a ukulele with a twist of line, please. Impress me. Don't depress me. Folks, it's Word of the Week. We like the way he thinks. Serious with a wink. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Yes, the Word of the Week this week is Sunday Special. Not for the first time that we've had Sunday special as the word of the week, but the summer months are a perfect time to bring it right back up to the surface. As a reminder, the Sunday special is a purple patch wide performance habit. It's utilized by our pro athletes, our leading executives, our time starved athletes, and it is startling in its simplicity. But it is important because it optimizes your training execution, your productivity, as well as delivering a nice sense of control and calm. And the mission behind it is to actually enable you to launch into the start of every week in what we would label execution mode. We want you to have a clear sense of purpose and ensure that you avoid a reactive or jumbled start to every week. So if you get off to a good start, you're then equipped to adapt and evolve as the week of work or training goes. So what is this thing? Well, it's very, very simple. It's 15 to 30 minutes of simple planning. For athletes, that means looking ahead and identifying the key sessions of the week, planning when and where you're going to do your training, perhaps your routes, understand what the challenge is, and of course, where the easier supporting work and sessions are. On the other end of the scale, if you're a really busy CEO or executive, then you might be reviewing your key action items of the weeks, the meeting that you have, and you're not looking to plan those meetings, but you're just understanding, grounding yourself. 
What preparation needs to be done? Where am I going to apply my focus this week? And what, amongst all that you could be trying to accomplish, what are you going to accomplish this week to drive yourself, your team, or your business forward? Pen and paper, 15 to 30 minutes. And if there are other folks that are a part of your big puzzle, get them involved too. And this is why I bring word of the week this week, because we're hitting summer. And for many folks, life is a mix. It's a mix of work, vacations, family time, and of course, training for many of you. And all of those pieces are important, but it starts to get like chicken casserole. It starts to get like soup. And so we want to ensure that we are coordinated, that everybody has clarity, that communication is achieved. Because if we can do that, we can excel. And it really does come down to a little bit of planning and communication. And the path to that is the Sunday special. 15 to 30 minutes, once weekly, it will make your life easier. And that is why I decided this week to make it word of the week, Sunday special. Now, guys, I am Ank Marvin. I'll tell you that much. Give me the food, let me tuck in. It is the meat and potatoes. Oh, it is the meat and potatoes. Some mothers like it hot. That's what they say. Well, today we dive into performance in heat. What are you going to hear? Well, I'm going to frame the challenge of heat and humidity for endurance performance. But we're also going to, and we're going to have to hold hands on this one, and I don't want you to get fearful, but we're going to dig into a little bit of really simple physiology. And that's going to help us define our mission and how we combat heat. And then we're going to go through and highlight some strategies so that you can prepare for heat. Now, what we're not going to dig into today is how to actually manage it in flight on the race course, whether you're doing a marathon, an Ironman, whatever it might be. This is all about preparation today, getting your body primed so that it can perform on the race course. And it is a really fun one. It's also a little sticky. So lube up, folks. Let's get going. As promised, let's begin with the heat challenge. I think it's important that we begin with some really important basics because I think that they will help frame or define the conversation. So let me begin with a very simple statement, an acknowledgement. Endurance performances tend to be best in cooler environments or environments that you might say are clement in nature. Nice, smooth, 50 degrees, 60 degrees, that sort of range of Fahrenheit temperatures. And when we add heat, and particularly humidity to the occasion, it really adds an additional set of environmental stress to an already really stressful situation. And there are several factors that are at play here. The first is that when we are performing in the heat, the body has a much harder time keeping cool. Added to that, it is mentally distressing. You are going to have a higher perceived effort at any given intensity. There is a great propensity 
for core temperature to rise greatly or at least faster, which is both a performance inhibitor, but also if unchecked can be dangerous. Your needs for hydration increase, and that adds not just a challenge around consumption and absorption, but actually logistical challenges. Where do I carry the stuff? And there is a much greater global physiological cost at any same work rate. Now, that's not all of them, but by adding this additional environmental stress, it's enough to paint the picture that it's just much harder. And it feels harder, but it also is harder. And guess what? It also kind of isn't fair. It's really not fair because some athletes are genetically better equipped to operate in heat. Now, traditionally, this would be the smaller athletes, those with less muscle mass, a lower percentage of fat. But there are also many, many athletes out there who have high performance capacity while not fitting that exact profile. And this advantage or disadvantage, depending on which side that you fall on, is called um, what it's, oh, that's right, sport. It's called sport. And so there's no value in getting to the top of the stairs and shouting, it's not fair, because it is what it is. And it is important that you don't let yourself get down. Or equally, you can't get complacent if you tend to operate really well in heat. Because performance in heat is simply an additional challenge to overcome. And the good news, as you're going to find out today, is that you can prepare. You can offset some of the challenge. You can enable your body to be physiologically in a much greater state of readiness to combat that additional stress. But nothing I tell you today is going to make it easier. It's not going to suddenly make you feel lovely when you're performing in heat. I cannot convert hot into cool for you. Instead, all I can do is lay out a strategy to help you prepare for hot conditions in advance so that you give your best opportunity to actually excel. And to do that, I need to map the strategies to enable you to manage those conditions on the day itself. But we better dive into this, don't we? We first have to understand what the bleeding egg is going on inside my body. Because the big challenge that endurance athletes face is amplified by heat. And it's all about what's on the inside. So hold hands. Let's go inside your body. Let's talk a little bit about the physiology. You are driving forward in competition. But while you compete against other athletes, there is another competition going on inside your body. And this competition is amplified when you're competing in heat and humidity. And this competition all anchors around your blood. I want you to imagine that you're looking at yourself in the mirror. And now, imagine that you're looking inside yourself. 
You are full of lots of stuff, organs, bones, muscles. But circling around this system is a whole bunch of blood. Now, hopefully, you are a closed system where the blood is circulating from the heart all around the body, doing its little duties, what it has to do, back through the lungs where it grabs this whole bunch of oxygen and gets rid of all of those nasty byproducts, including CO2, back to the heart to be pumped around again and again and again. And in this closed system, you've got, give or take, about six litres of the stuff. And that six litres, your blood, is made up of two primary components. The first are your red blood cells. So those are your oxygen transport cells. And they make up about 40 to 50% of your total volume of blood. And the rest of it, 50 to 60% of your total blood volume, is made up of plasma. That's your white body fluid that carries all of the nutrients and a few other byproducts around the body. And so this blood, all six liters or so, red blood cells and plasma, goes around and around and around. And as it's going around, it has many roles. But for endurance athletes in training or in competition, of course, as our focus is on today, we can identify three, three main roles. And it's important if we are going to operate in heat that we understand these roles. And so in no particular order, these are the three. Number one, the blood delivers oxygen to your muscles and that enables work. So the blood goes to the muscle, offloads oxygen, removes some nasty byproducts, and energy production is dependent on a consistent and rapid blood throw through the muscle. Okay, great. So delivery to muscle, number one. The second big primary role is to deliver blood to the skin. And this is really important. Because this is how the body offloads the heat that is generated from that hard work we're doing. A buildup of internal heat, or your core temperature rising, is a huge performance limiter. And so offloading it through the skin as we get into racing is incredibly important. Our performance, but also our organs and brain demand that it happens. And if it doesn't, a couple of things will happen. We'll either slow down or we'll be forced to stop. Okay, so that's two down. We've got blood going to the muscle, we've got blood going to the skin, and then the third component is the blood going to the GI area because it's all about digestion. Your blood going to the GI system to assist with the absorption of your hydration you're taking on as well as your calories. We need to fuel your racing effort in long endurance events, and we also need to stay hydrated. And so we drink and we fuel. And to assist with it going from the stomach through the lower intestine, all into the body to provide greater energy, well, that requires blood going to the GI system. Three big roles. Three big roles to do the work, to get rid of the heat generated from doing that work, and then to assist with the caloric uptake to keep fueling so that you can keep doing that work. I think you would agree, our blood is quite important in all of this. Okay, so we are aligned so far. That wasn't too hard, was it? All right, so now your event 
begins. And naturally, with your ambition, you're chasing your goals, you start working very, very hard. But now you're doing this race, not in those lovely cool 55 or 60 degree conditions. It's 85% humidity, 85 degrees. You're doing it in the heat. Well, your body is generating heat from the work that the race demands. And you are dissipating that heat through the skin and you are keeping your body fueled and hydrated. We just went through that. But now, whoom, like a blanket, a blanket of claustrophobia, we start to add the heat and humidity. And the humidity greatly reduces the effectiveness of your body's ability to cool. The body gets thrown into overdrive simply by trying to cool itself. And the high water content in the atmosphere limits the effectiveness of you to dissipate heat via evaporation. And the heat of the day hits the body. It's an external heating stimulus, accelerating core temperature rise. And your heart rate activates and goes higher across any level of intensity. So therefore, the cost is greater across your race intensity and your core temperature has a higher propensity to rise faster and faster, more and more. Goodness me. So now the battle goes on and begins. And as you start to lose more fluids, because dehydration is a fact of endurance performance, then the competition really starts to heat up, pardon the pun. Because no matter how well you hydrate, you are going to experience some dehydration. And this dehydration will be displayed via having a lower total blood volume. You remember we talked about that six liters or so of blood, and then we broke it down and we said you've got about 40 to 50% of rubber blood cells, 50 to 60% of plasma. Okay, that plasma, your sort of body liquid, if you want to call it that, that starts to drop. And that's what's happening when you get dehydrated. Your total blood volume drops. So the outcome of all of this is that you've got less blood to go around. But the demand for that blood only remains and increases because your muscle is asking, crying out for oxygen. I've got to keep going. Come on. I'm trying to brace Billy and he's up the street. I've got to go get him. And then the skin is absolutely desperate to dissipate the heat that's generating. And finally, I need fuel. The car don't run on empty, brother. I need those calories. And to get those calories to absorb, and then I'm going to need blood going to the GI system. And there's just not enough to go around. You're getting dehydrated. The competition is amplified because of the additional stresses. Not everyone can win. This ain't America. Not everyone gets a prize. And the victor in this competition can only be one, the skin. Because your mind, it really cares about goals, but your brain is the real manager. And it realizes that keeping you alive is the most important thing. So you must get rid of the heat. The skin will always win. And that means that there is less blood to go to the muscle to generate the work that you want to do. And then even less blood to go to the GI system. Now you understand why you had a runny tummy at the last event, don't you? 
So the overall result of this competition and the battle as it goes on is that your perception of effort is going to absolutely skyrocket. You've got less blood going to the muscle, so you will ultimately slow down. And because of the efficiency of absorption plummeting, you're going to get potentially bloated potentially a really hard time to retain hydration in the proper level. And so you are left to struggle, to slow down. But you can combat this. And you can combat it in a couple of ways. The first is to get heat adapted before the event. You can actually prepare to operate in heat. You can boost your blood volume you can get more blood in the blood. Remember that six liters? Imagine if we, and the metrics aren't important, but imagine if we could start with seven liters. Whoa, that's a leg up, isn't it? The second component is you can manage the heat issues during the event. Now for today's show, we're only gonna go into the strategies to help you before a race, how to get heat adapted. And there are a few rules on this. Now we get to the nitty gritty folk. Number one, the heat sessions that I'm talking about here, I don't want you to integrate or implement them on a pure recovery day. Everything we talk about here for the rest of the show is quite stressful. And remember that the overall purpose of training is to stress the body, adapt, so that you can show up to race day really, really fit, but also fresh. And so in many days of your training, if you have a pure recovery day where the purpose is regeneration and rebuilding after the bouts of hard training and other life stress, we don't want to add stress in. So you shouldn't execute a heat session on a pure recovery day. The second rule is that your key interval sessions that you're doing, the really race-specific training or the high-intensity work, you don't want to do those sessions as a heat session. And we'll understand what a heat session is a little bit later on. But you want to retain the integrity of the output and the quality of those training sessions. So you do key sessions all the way through this preparation in the best environment that you can. Super. Number three, there's a little bit of management that goes with this. You should skip heat acclimation or heat adaptation if you're really lethargic and you're feeling a big fatigue accumulation, or of course, if you're sick. You've got to have a little bit of pragmatism here because it's stressful and it's only going to suppress you more if you add these on if the body is not adapting very well. Good. Three rules in. There are three to go. Number four, you should cease looking to do any heat adaptation work at least a couple of days before you travel to race site. The race site is going to be hot in itself. You will continue to get adaptations there, but you should cease a couple of days before. And the reason for that is I don't want you to carry stress right up into travel. I would rather you restore, freshen up, travel, and then mitigate the effects of the stress of travel, emotional and physiological, and then finish up the adaptation in the hot environment that you'll be racing in. Number five, more is not better. And so adhere to what we're talking about today, but don't think 
goodness me, I'm going to go nuclear on this because it's not going to do anything apart from make you tired. And finally, number six, a really important, in fact, the most important one, which is to check with your physician. If you have any strange feelings, any health history, you shouldn't commence this if there is any question at all. In the same with a heavy training program or anything else, guys. So of course, all of this fits under not being medical advice. It's the lens of a coach. And so please, please, please check with your physician if you have any doubt at all. Okay. So with this in mind, I'm going to give you some key specific strategies to set yourself up. But before I do, a very simple statement. Your best strategy to operate in a high stress race environment, such as heat or humidity, is to show up really fit, but without deep fatigue. And so this is like your little sprinkles on top of a cake. This is just a nice little addition. This is not the decision point between great and failure. What's going to set you up more than anything is being faff, fit as <coughs> ladies and gentlemen, Mrs. Jenkins, language please, but really, really fit while also not carrying deep fatigue. So let's put that out there because the fitter you are, the better able you are to deal with heat. And this is as important. If you bring underlying deep fatigue into a race, you're not also going to be able to operate in heat. So this is why if you're a big follower of races such as the Hawaii Ironman World Championship, it's the great exposure. It highlights athletes, not that cannot operate in heat, but in one way or another, either struggle in heat, but also have shown up to the big event a little bit tired. So remember this, stamp it, no tattoo it on your forearm. You want to be fit and fresh. While you're at it, put a purple patch logo on that. Thank you. So the purple patch methodology and mindset of driving to fitness, but also limiting deep fatigue is the, 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 the most important thing. And with this in mind, then you can apply these strategies and you can do so carefully with pragmatism. Okay, so your first option is what we would label the sauna protocol. Now, you don't have to have access to a sauna to do this. It's really a heat protocol. But this protocol is something that you can utilize following your training. So this is an immediate post-training intervention. So that means that when you're doing the heat protocol or the sauna protocol, as we tend to call it, you can do this after an easier day, you can do it after a very, very challenging day. You can do it after a race-specific session. And it can be any discipline. If you're a triathlete, swimming, cycling, running, it doesn't matter. Here's how you do it. It is post-workout. And as quickly as you can following the end of that workout, boom, it begins. You finish the workout, and in that session to retain the integrity of the session, you do that training in normal conditions, so as cool as you want to have, with typical fueling and hydration. In the last 10 to 15 minutes of the session, 
you can stop hydrating. And that's going to start to elicit a little bit of thirst related to dehydration. So last 10 to 15 minutes, you're finishing the session, stop with the bottle. Great. Now, if you want to have some protein post-workout immediately, do so, but make sure that it's solid. So it's okay to have a little bit of fueling, but what we're avoiding is hydration. There is no hydration in the last 10 to 15 minutes of the session or during this heat intervention. And as quickly as you can, you get out of your workout gear and you go and spend 15, 20, 25, 30 minutes in a sauna. I cannot think of anything worse. And during that time, you will not have hydration. Now, this is an important component. You get out of the sauna when you get very uncomfortable. So this isn't purgatory. We're looking to elicit physiological adaptations. And so you might only be able to stay in seven to 10 minutes on the first round, but your body, as you do this repeatedly over many, many days, is going to start to get used to it. And you can start to go 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes sitting in a sauna. Now, I hear some of you guys saying, but I don't have access to a sauna. And that's okay. Here are some other components that you can utilize. A steam room is okay. A hot tub or a, or a uh, spa is really good. You want it to be 103 or 104 degrees if possible. Very hot. And feigning that a hot bath with consistent running water. So once the tub is full, you take out the plug and you keep the hot water flowing. You must be submerged in that environment, either the hot tub or the bath, up to the neck. So 10, 15, 20, up to 30 minutes at the hot immersion component. Now, you're going to feel claustrophobic in this. I don't pretend it's going to be very, very pleasant. And once you're done, you can go and have a shower. You have a shower, and then you do your post-workout fueling. And over the next three to five hours, you want to begin to rehydrate. And that's going to include at least a couple of liters of fluid. And so don't just have a cup of water or even a sports bottle of water and think you are rehydrated. It is a rehydration protocol over the next three, four, five hours. And that is done. Now, make no mistake, this intervention is stressful. It's claustrophobic, but it helps. It lowers your sweat threshold, so you start to sweat more. It stimulates a boost, an antidiuretic hormone called versapressin, and it will boost your total blood volume. You will have more blood in your blood. You will become a more effective cooler. And remember, if you don't have the sauna, steam room, hot tub, hot bath with hot running water, you can utilize it all. And you can repeat this almost daily all the way up to two to three days before your travel to the events. And you want to begin this no more than about a month out at the most. No more than a month out of the race. So it's really about a 14 to 21 day intervention. Then you travel to the race. Now, I realize that I said this already, but it's worth repeating. Please Get together with your physician if you have any doubt at all, if you have any history at all. In fact, it's probably a good idea to check with your physician anyway. And secondly, back off and skip this intervention 
if you're feeling like you're starting to accumulate too much global fatigue, whether it's in sport or whether it's in life, because this isn't the thing that's going to help you perform. It's an additional little sprinkle of magic dust. Okay, so the second option of getting ready is a parallel strategy. And it's one that a lot of folks ask about, and it certainly has its place. And this is how you begin to adapt to heat during your workouts. Now, this is much more simple, and it's also effective, but it's really important to do this the right way. So I want to come again, remember the bigger puzzle. We want to avoid total fatigue and stress accumulation. And so pragmatism is going to trump ego and your fear. And so these sessions are not, these heat sessions are not done in any of the more important or challenging sessions. You're doing hill repetitions on the run. You're doing bike intervals. You're doing a marathon pace run. You don't seek high heat. You don't add clothing. These are done in the more supporting sessions, the generally lower stress endurance-based sessions that are soul-filling, that are lighter. But we're going to actually add some stress to it, some heat stress. So imagine that you're doing 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 60-minute training session, and it's going to be done on a bike trainer or you're going for an easy run, whatever it might be. Your quest is that you're doing this in a hot environment. So if you're inside, you want to make it as hot and steamy, almost like my armpit, as hot as you can. And there is no fan, and it wants to be as warm as possible. And during this session, you're going to actually take on a minimal amount of hydration. You can consume a little bit, you can have some sips here and there, but look for minimal hydration. You probably don't need fueling during these sessions because they're short, 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes. And they are all at a low, low power or pace. Now, if you really want to amplify it, if the temperatures aren't there for you to really stimulate the high claustrophobic heat feeling, then you can even add some clothes. And yes, your neighbors think you look very, very silly because it's 80 degrees outside and you're going out with a puffy jacket on. But a ski hat, a puffy jacket, a vest, whatever it might be, you can go out and stimulate this. During these training sessions, there are no intervals. They are all done at a low output. But you will be under a claustrophobic, stressful situation with higher heart rate because of the heat factor. I do not want you to compromise any of your key sessions. Now, if you're time-starved, if you just don't have too many training hours, still never compromise the key training sessions. These type of workouts that I'm talking about here, heat workouts as we can label them, only fit if you have time and energy. So you keep that in mind. And you can perform this protocol in parallel to the key session post-workout protocol. It can be 14 to 28 days out, and you do it all the way up to two to three days before you travel. And again, you manage yourself, you understand the context that we're placing this in. So what races do you do this for? 
Well, you do it for races where it's really hot. But here's a dirty secret for you. The adaptations that you get from doing this type of protocol are going to be really beneficial, even if you're racing in cool temperatures. So you do it for every race, yeah? No. You only want to do this once or twice a year. So think strategically about your key races and you do this leading in. And if the race is in high heat, you get the bonus of showing up with the body a better cooling machine. So why don't we talk about that? Why don't we talk about the results that happens? Well, if you execute it well, and therefore you will be able to gain the results without layering on additional fatigue or overall systemic depletion. And that's the real success. If you simply chase the results without careful self-management, you might get the physiological adaptations, but you're going to show up depleted and tired. And guess what? You're going to race like poo. And so if done right, the benefits are going to include a few things. Back to a touch of physiology. Number one, you've got an increase in your blood volume, more blood in your blood. And therefore, you're much better at heat transfer and oxygen delivery to the muscles. Great. Number two, you've got an earlier sweat threshold. So that means you start to cool earlier and you're more effective. You're also going to increase your sweat rate. Wow. But hang on. Isn't that going to dehydrate me more? Yes, but it's going to make you a much more effective cooling mechanism. So hydration will always be important in these races, but you are going to be more effective at cooling. Number four, and this is a dandy, there is a lowering of your perceived effort at all levels of work. It is going to be mentally slightly easier. Now, the offset of that is you're probably going to be able to go a little harder. And so I'm afraid it's still going to get hard. But at any given level of work, you have a lower perceived effort. Goody. There's also going to be a delay of the onset of the perception of fatigue. A big part of this is a mental game as well. And by being a better calling mechanism, you're going to actually delay the onset of this systemic fatigue. And you'll feel it later. And finally, look, I told you it's emotional. You're going to have a feeling, a confidence that you're able and equipped to manage heat. It doesn't mean it's pleasant. It doesn't mean it's optimal. It's certainly not preferred, but you will be ready to go to battle in it. And so this little salt and pepper of magic is there. Utilize it, but please proceed with caution. Be ready and hit the race venue, physiologically ready, and also mentally ready for battle. All right, so on another show, I plan to dig into race day management. You've got there. Now, what can you do to cool yourself down during the race? But for now, what you've got is a pathway to improve your system stress globally and arrive heat adapted. I hope that helps. I'll speak to you next time. And until then, stay safe. Take care. Hey guys, this is Matt. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. And if you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if we share with your friends and really go the extra mile. Head over to Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to follow, rate, and review the show. 
Your support and reviews go a long way to increasing our visibility and of course the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive, just like me and you. Don't forget, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Links to the episode resources and all of our programs can be found at purplepatchfitness.com. Thanks much for listening. Take care.